It's 8am on Tuesday the 7th of April 2015. Security guard Kelvin Stockwell walks to his job at Hatton Gardens Safe Deposit Limited. On his way, he passes rows of jewellery shops opening their shutters after the long Easter weekend. With meticulous care, the store owners place glittering displays of diamond rings, earrings and necklaces in the windows. Stockwell is unfazed by the sight of so much conspicuous wealth around him. He's used to it. It's his job to protect hundreds of millions of pounds worth of valuables. If he let it get to him, he'd never sleep at night. Not that he hasn't occasionally wondered how you'd do it, if you were going to do it. Break into the vault and steal all its contents. It's part of his job to think the unthinkable. But he knows Hatton Garden Safe Deposit Limited has one of the most advanced security systems in Britain, making it the most trusted vault in the area. Today is going to be a busy day for Stockwell. It always is after the long bank holiday weekend. The safe deposit has been closed for four days, as have the surrounding shops. The scores of merchants who placed their wares under lock and key last Thursday will all be lining up later this morning to gain access to their deposit boxes. That's the price you pay for being the best in the business. Most days, Stockwell's job is fairly uneventful, boring even. The virtually impenetrable outer wall, laser beams, motion sensors, and hair trigger alarm system guard the client's valuables better than he ever could. Today, however, will be different. Today will change everything. When Stockwell reaches 89 to 90 Hatton Garden, he walks in and sleepily waves to his manager before heading downstairs to the vault. As he flicks on the lights, he gasps. The wooden access door leading to the safe deposit boxes has been smashed open. Tools, metal pipes, hoses and a thick layer of dust covers the usually pristine corridor. Stunned, he strains his eyes through the disarray trying to understand what's happened. For a moment, he's relieved when he sees that the vault door is still tightly shut. But as his eyes scan over to the adjoining wall, his heart sinks. There, right in the center of half a meter of reinforced concrete, is a gaping hole. Tentatively, he walks towards it and peers through. The vault has been ransacked. Scores of empty safe deposit boxes lie empty on the floor. Stockwell takes out his phone and curses himself when he remembers there's no service in the vault. He runs out to the courtyard and calls the police to tell them the impossible has happened. The Hatton Garden vault has been burgled. I'm John Hopkins, and welcome to Scotland Yard Confidential, the show where we delve into the files of London's legendary criminal investigation department. We'll trace the development of forensic science from the earliest days of detection to the latest high-tech investigations. We'll search for clues and eavesdrop on interrogations, gather the evidence, 
and sort the truth from lies. There will be twists and turns along the way. Sometimes the trail will run cold. Sometimes it'll be a race against time. We'll make gruesome discoveries and hunt down the guilty. We'll rub shoulders with notorious gangsters, sit down with informants and come face to face with cold-blooded murderers as we follow in the footsteps of some of the greatest detectives in history. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Within minutes, police arrive at 88 to 90 Hatton Garden. But this isn't a job for local coppers. With potentially £200 million worth of valuables now missing, this is a job for Scotland Yard's Flying Squad. The Flying Squad are an elite branch of investigators within Scotland Yard that focus on robbery and organised crime. For over a century, the Flying Squad have taken on some of the world's most sophisticated criminal groups and won. Their biggest busts include the notorious Cray Twins, the Great Train Robbers, and the Millennium Dome Burglars. Now, they're about to tackle one of their strangest cases ever. Situated in the heart of London's Diamond Trading District, at any given time, the Hatton Garden Vault's 999 safe deposit boxes contain upwards of £1 billion worth of valuables. Thieves the world over have had their eye on it ever since it opened in 1944. The jewel thieves, this one small room tucked beneath the streets of London's genteel Holborn district, is a holy grail. But getting to it is virtually impossible. CCTVs are strategically stationed throughout the building, monitoring the comings and goings of everyone who enters. The heavily guarded vault is surrounded by a net of motion sensor lasers controlled by a complex security system. If triggered, an alert is sent directly to an armed response unit set to swarm the building within minutes. Even if thieves were able to overcome all these obstacles, they'd then be faced with not one, but two iron grates, leading to the vault's 18-inch thick metal door. Embedded in half a meter of reinforced concrete, the vault door contains an uncrackable mechanical lock. Many highly skilled burglars have tried, but all have failed, to break into the Hatton Garden vault. That is, until now. The first flying squad officer to arrive at 88 to 90 Hatton Garden on April the 7th, 2015 is Detective Constable Jamie Day. At 42 years old, DC Day is a fairly young member of the squad, 
but his impeccable eye for detail has quickly established him as one of their best investigators. Day gets his first clue the moment he walks in. There is no damage to the main entrance door, making him suspect that the thieves must have had inside help. Either someone who works for the vault let them in, or given them a set of keys. Police on the scene lead DC Day to the elevator. They've already determined that the thieves had accessed the vault by jamming the customer lift at the second floor and climbing down the shaft. Next, DC Day is taken down to the basement. He surveys the absolute carnage the thieves have left behind, gingerly stepping over piles of tools and pipes as he makes his way to the hole in the concrete wall. One of the first things DC Day notices is the enormous drill sitting in a puddle of water below the hole. It's quickly identified by the team as a Hilti DD350, a rare, incredibly expensive diamond core drill. Only a few hundred Hilti DD350s exist in the world, and they are used exclusively in major development projects like office or apartment buildings. These drills create such intense friction that they risk catching fire if not continually doused with water. He makes a note to check if any diamond core drills had recently been stolen before moving into the vault. Next, DC Day inspects the safe deposit boxes that have been ransacked. He counts about 70 in total. Looking at which boxes they targeted, DC Day can see that the robbers weren't after anything specific. The boxes that were opened are all at about chest height on the average male. The thieves simply went for the most conveniently placed drawers. Still, DC Day is hopeful that forensics and CCTV footage will soon unmask the culprits. The thieves, however, had already thought of that. DC Day heads to the office two doors down from the vault to check the CCTV monitor. 88 to 90 Hatton Gardens is filled with hidden cameras strategically placed throughout the building. There are five in the vault and surrounding area alone. Surely, the thieves couldn't have avoided them all. But Day and investigators are dismayed when they flick on the monitors. All of the footage not just from the bank holiday weekend, is missing. The hard drive has been stolen, ripped from the cupboard within the adjoining airlock. This is yet more evidence that thieves must have had inside help or somehow cased the joint. Kelvin Stockwell admits that he had let four or five prospective customers in the year before the raid that he didn't keep a record of. DC Day thinks there's a chance that some of these anonymous visitors may well have been their thieves. Without video evidence to identify the culprits, Day and the Flying Squad must now turn their attention to forensics. Back in the vaults, over two dozen police officers and forensic staff are methodically bagging evidence for DNA and fingerprint scanning. But they don't have high hopes that anything will be found. The band of thieves that pulled off this job are certainly professionals and would have been wearing gloves. 
Plus, in and among the rubble, are bottles upon bottles of bleach. Clearly, they'd methodically cleansed the basement before leaving, destroying any genetic material they may have left behind. The crime was almost perfect. But the bandits had made one nearly fatal error on the night of the break-in. They had, with the bafflement of the Flying Squad's alarm experts, been able to disarm the vault's high-tech security system within the allotted 60 seconds. But, unbeknownst to the thieves, the alarm still sent an alert to the monitoring company, which was received at 12.18am on Friday, April the 3rd. As a result, Kelvin Stockwell was sent to the premises to investigate. Around 1.15 in the morning, Stockwell arrived at 88-90 Hatton Garden, saw that the main door and fire exit were undisturbed, and hastily determined it was a false alarm. The police were never called, and the thieves made their way to the vaults undisturbed. For the investigating officers, it's one of those if-only moments. If only the alert had been followed up more thoroughly, then perhaps the whole robbery could have been averted. After many long, gruelling hours at the Hatton Garden Vault, DC Day heads back to Scotland Yard HQ to debrief. There, he's met by Detective Chief Inspector Paul Johnson and Detective Superintendent Craig Turner. Johnson, at 53, has been on the force for 30 years. With a slender face, greying hair and piercing blue eyes, he bears a striking resemblance to Clint Eastwood during his Dirty Harry years. He's Day's superior and has been charged with directing and managing the investigation. Turner is the head of the flying squad. Along with directing operations, he'll act as the investigation's public face, giving statements and interviews with the press. The three men pile into a cramped office and begin pouring through the evidence. They know they're now in a race against time. By choosing to break in during the bank holiday weekend, the robbers have given themselves a two-day head start. This might not seem like a lot, but jewel thieves are known to move extremely quickly after a heist. The detectives reason that a gang this skilled would have already made arrangements for the stolen gems and jewellery to be shipped abroad. There, the gold will be melted down and gems recut, making them completely untraceable. They have little hope of recovering all of the valuables, but they may just be able to catch the thieves if by some miracle they haven't left the country. Detectives must now rely on what little evidence the thieves left behind to try and uncover their identity. Johnson, Day and Turner focus their attention on the Hilti DD350 drill found at the crime scene. They check police records for any thefts at building sites within the past few years. That's when they get one of their first breaks. A Hilti DD350 had been stolen from a building site just half a mile from Hatton Garden in December 2014, just four months before the heist. 
the timing and location of the theft can't be a coincidence. They're able to retrieve CCTV footage from the building site, which shows two hooded men entering the premises. The thieves are unidentifiable, but Johnson, Day and Turner spot a white van parked nearby during the robbery. This must be their getaway car. If the robbers had used the same car during the heist, police will be able to identify it using the 120-plus CCTV cameras stationed throughout Hatton Garden. Possibly even run the plates and find the owner. But scanning through hundreds of hours of CCTV footage is incredibly time-consuming. And time is not on the flying squad's side. Plus, pressure is mounting from the press and victims. The story of the Hatton Garden heist explodes onto the front page within hours. A near-permanent camp of news vans plant themselves in front of 88 to 90 Hatton Garden. Reporters with microphones and cameras stand outside ready to pounce whenever a flying squad officer leaves the premises. It's easy to understand why. The raid was like something out of a film. Harking back to the old days in Britain, when teams of professional robbers hijacked banks and security vans with impunity. Rumours spread through the press like wildfire. They speculate, incorrectly, that upwards of £200 million has been stolen, making it the single largest heist in British history. In reality, the thieves were only able to get their hands on about £14 million worth of valuables. Still, not bad for a weekend's work. Theories on the identity of the thieves start to emerge. Press outlets speculate that perhaps the Pink Panthers, an Eastern European jewel thief collective, could be the masterminds behind the job. Meanwhile, the patrons of the Hatton Garden Vault are furious. They tell reporters that the Flying Squad haven't even let them know which boxes were targeted. With potentially millions worth of their valuables now missing, they demand answers and criticise the investigation's slow pace. Worst of all, news that the alarm was triggered and ignored by police on Friday, April the 3rd, has somehow been leaked. It's a humiliating oversight, and the public begins to lose faith in the investigation. Unbeknownst to them, however, the Flying Squad have made a breakthrough. They've caught the thieves on camera. Early on in the investigation, the Flying Squad began having twice-daily meetings to go over the progress of the CCTV scans. 30 officers are working around the clock, going through hundreds of hours of footage. Slowly, they build a picture of how the burglary went down. At 8.20pm on Thursday, April the 2nd, a white van, similar to the one used in the Hilti drill burglary, is spotted arriving at 88 to 90 Hatton Garden. Minutes later, two men wearing fluorescent yellow work vests and dust masks walk towards the vault. They're followed by another man, carrying a bag strategically placed on his shoulder to obscure his face. DC Day is impressed. 
Clearly, this man knew exactly where the street cameras were positioned. There must have been case in the area for months. The man with the bag slows down as he approaches the entrance to 88 to 90 Hatton Garden and appears to take something out of his pocket. Day presumes this must be a key to the front door that the gang either stole or got from an insider. He then moves to the fire escape side door to let in the rest of the thieves. Luckily, the group had mistakenly thought that a motion sensor camera positioned in the corridor belonged to 88 to 90 Hatton Garden and would therefore be erased once they stole the hard drive. In reality, it belonged to the neighboring Berganza jewelers, so all of the footage was still intact. The flying squad now get their first up-close glimpse of the robbers. There are six of them in total, all wearing hats and masks to obscure their faces. In high-vis jackets and overalls, they've disguised themselves as workmen, no doubt so they can easily explain away the bags and wheelie bins of tools they carry out of their van. But investigators quickly zero in on something strange. All the men appear to be, well, old. With wrinkled skin peeking out of their masks, grey hair and stooping gaits, they're far from the elite squad of muscled ex-military men that the press are depicting them to be. One of them even has visible trouble breathing as he hauls the heavy tool bags into the vault. Could this be some disguise designed to throw the flying squad off their scent? Or are they really after a group of pensioners that have somehow pulled off the crime of the century? At around 9.40pm, the robbers finally disappear into the building where they remain for a staggering nine hours. When they re-emerge around 8am, however, they don't appear to be carrying bags of loot. All those gruelling hours of work had been for nothing. Something had gone wrong. Now, typically, highly organised jewel thieves only have one shot at a job. If they fail the first time, they simply cut their losses and move on, for risk of getting caught. But this group did the unthinkable. The next night, Saturday, April the 4th, they came back. The Flying Squad deduce that on the first night, the gang attempted to use an industrial jack to knock over the row of safety deposit boxes positioned directly behind a cement wall. But, unbeknownst to the robbers, the safety deposit boxes were bolted to the ceiling and floor. The pump they brought wasn't strong enough to knock them over and broke. After this initial failure, the gang appeared to split up with only four members out of the original six returning on the Saturday evening, armed with a powerful hydraulic pump. And this time, they're successful. CCTV footage captures them carrying out bags and rubbish bins, presumably filled with loot, placing them in the van and driving off. The flying squad run the plates on the van and hit a dead end. It had been purchased using a false name and disposed of shortly after the robbery. 
but DC Day and the team quickly discover that the van was not the only vehicle used that night. About an hour before the second break-in, two of the robbers are seen getting into a distinctive car, a white Mercedes with a black roof and black hubcaps. Bingo. Using automatic plate recognition, the flying squad tracks the movements of the Mercedes to a residential street in North London. This is the break the team have been waiting for. Immediately, undercover cars are deployed to the area. DC Day is in one of them, and his heart skips a beat when they pull up next to the Mercedes. They can't believe their luck. Contrary to their suspicions, the thieves had not fled the country. They hadn't even left the city. Now, the team need only sit and wait. It's not long until the owner of the Mercedes reveals himself. And it's someone who's been on the Flying Squad's radar for a long, long time. During the Mercedes stakeout, the Flying Squad quickly established the car is used regularly by an elderly, morbidly obese male. Officers snap photos of him and run it through their database. The results are unbelievable. The old geezer they've watched limp back and forth to his car for the past few days is none other than John Kenny Collins. Collins started making a name for himself as a break-in expert in the 1960s. Back in those days, robbers, or pavement artists as they were called, were hailed as working-class heroes. They'd knock over a bank, then head to the pub and buy workers suffering from plummeting post-war wages a round of drinks. Collins was a major figure during these glory days, but the law was always hot on his heels. His first stint in prison came in 1961 for robbery. Since then, he's had a revolving door relationship with the clink. Last time was back in 1988, when he got done for a £300,000 jewellery raid and was sentenced to nine years. After that, he more or less dropped off the flying squad's radar, but as Collins himself has said, being a criminal is a living, innit? It appears that at 74 years old, he's decided to take his career to the next level in one last epic job. Once the flying squad nail Collins, it's not long before they identify the rest of the gang. They begin following his flash white Mercedes around his favourite North London haunts. On April the 18th, 2015, DC Day and the surveillance team follow Collins to a pub just half a mile from the vault. It's a rare sunny day in London, and he carries pints out onto the terrace for himself and a friend. His companion is a tall, thin, elderly man, probably also in his 70s. Based on the easy manner with which they talk to each other, Day initially thinks it's just a friendly meeting. But the squad have been monitoring Collins' calls. They reveal a bombshell, one that will change the course of the investigation. The man Collins is with 
is Brian Reader, otherwise known as the Governor. At 76 years old, Reader has been a long-time adversary of the Flying Squad. He's the single most successful thief in Britain, involved in a string of heists worth more than £150 million. He, like Collins, got his start back in the late 50s and early 60s, doing petty crimes. But it wasn't until the 1970s that he got noticed by the Flying Squad. That's when he became the head of a gang known as the Millionaire Moles, who dug a tunnel 40 feet under a restaurant and into Lloyd's Bank, escaping with a haul worth £41 million. Reader was never caught for the crime. His next big job came in 1982, while still on the run from the previous raid. This time, he broke into a vault in Holborn Circus and made off with £10 million worth of jewels. Again, the cunning thief escaped justice. But the flying squad finally caught up with him in 1985, when he was sentenced to nine years in prison for his role in the £26 million Brinks Matt robbery. It was during this stint that Collins and Reader met. The discovery of Reader's involvement in the Hatton Garden job opens up old wounds within the flying squad. During the Brinks Matt heist, one of their officers was stabbed to death by an associate of Reader and have held a grudge against him ever since. For many old dogs on the squad, the Hatton Garden case just got personal. Having identified Reader and Collins, DC Day and his team go back to the CCTV footage to see what role they each played in the heist. Collins, whose obesity and diabetes kept him from participating in the heavy lifting, acted as the lookout. Cameras caught him heading out of his Mercedes and into the building directly across from 88 to 90 Hatton Garden. He must have got his hands on a key somehow and was able to secure a good view of the street below position. Reader is well known as a master cutter, a term used by the flying squad to describe a thief who was able to get around security precautions using high-tech hardware and their wits. This means that he may well have been the man that handled the Hilti DD350. But looking at the footage from the second night, DC Day notices something strange. Reader isn't there. He was one of the two thieves that opted not to return on the second night, probably because he realized the risk involved with returning to the scene of the crime. Based on surveillance, DC Day and the squad are led to believe Collins is now acting as an intermediary between Reader and the rest of the gang. Reader most certainly wants a cut of the spoils and it appears the rest of the robbers are reluctant to give it to him. Having identified two of the Hatton Garden gang, the squad now focus their attention on nailing the remaining four thieves. It's time to make an appeal to the public. On April the 23rd, 2015, Detective Superintendent Craig Turner appears on the popular series Crime Watch. During the segment, he appeals to the general public for witness statements, offering a surprisingly stingy £20,000 reward for information. Turner does not let on 
that the flying squad have identified Collins and Reader, and instead focuses on one of the few pieces of evidence they have shared with the public. The thieves' use of the Hilti DD-350. We are keen to hear from the wives or partners of anyone who has specialist knowledge or skills that use this sort of equipment, he says. Were they away during the Easter Bank holiday weekend? Or have they been acting oddly since the burglary was carried out? Turner's appeal on Crime Watch is quickly mocked in the press. Are the flying squad really so desperate that they're trying to get wives to turn their own husbands in? And why would they offer just £20,000 in exchange for information on one of the biggest heists of the century? Plus, the Hatton Garden thieves have started to gain public sympathy. Photos from the CCTV cameras have leaked to the press, revealing that they're elderly men. A narrative has been spun about a group of canny working-class grandpas besting one of the most powerful police forces in the world. They've become anti-heroes. The press's mockery of the flying squad plays right into their hands, however. They don't want readers and Collins to have any idea that they've been found out, so they can keep tailing them unsuspected. The day after Turner's Crime Watch appearance, the Flying Squad have their next big breakthrough. The surveillance team follows Collins to a local pub where he meets up with two elderly men. They are quickly identified as Terry Perkins and Daniel Jones. Jones, at 59, is one of the youngest members of the crew and the least accomplished. He's a career criminal, sure, but he's never pulled off a job as big as Hatton Garden before. The Flying Squad reason that he must be the gang's muscle, able to step in for the more physically arduous tasks if needed. Perkins, aged 67, is a different case entirely. Like Collins and Reader, he is very well known to the Flying Squad, having taken part in the infamous Security Express robbery of 1983. Here, Perkins and a gang of thieves targeted an armoured security van carrying cash to banks throughout London. They doused the driver in petrol and threatened to burn him alive unless they were given the key. At the time, it was the biggest cash robbery in British history. Perkins was quickly caught for the crime, however, and sentenced to 22 years in prison. The squad have now identified four of the six members of the Hatton Garden gang but they still don't have enough evidence to link them directly to the crime. In the CCTV footage, their faces are obscured. Yes, Collins is seen going into the building across from 88 to 90 on both nights, but that isn't enough to prove that he acted as the lookout. Detectives are forced to sit and wait, quietly observing until one of the gang slips up. That moment comes on the evening of May the 1st, 2015, nearly a month after the heist. It's a Friday night, and Reader, Collins and Perkins meet at the Castle Pub in Islington. Back in the gang's day, this area was the epicenter of the criminal underworld. Now that history is quickly being forgotten, as more middle-class professionals move in by the day, driving the property prices up sky high. Reader, Collins and Perkins 
are some of the last vestiges of Islington's criminal past, and they refuse to be forced out. Castle is their spot, in spite of the fact it's long since changed owners and is now a trendy gastropub. Unbeknownst to the trio, however, an undercover officer has followed them into the pub. The gang settle into a booth with vodka and tonics in hand and begin talking like the old friends they are. The undercover officer approaches the bar and discreetly places a hidden camera directly facing them. It doesn't take long for the thieves to begin discussing the job. The hidden camera doesn't pick up sound, but Terry Perkins begins demonstrating to Reader how they use the hydraulic pump to knock over the safety deposit boxes. A professional lip reader reviews the footage. They got the effing pump, boom, Perkins says, while making pumping motions with his hands. This is exactly what the flying squad needs. Finally, nearly a month after the heist, it's time to act. The footage taken from the castle pub allows the flying squad to get the extremely rare authorization to bug both Perkins and Collins' cars. It becomes immediately clear that the gang have no idea they're being followed. They brag openly and often about their daring heist, even mocking Reader for abandoning a job. The biggest robbery in history and Brian walking away, Jones says while in the car with Perkins. That's it, and he thinks he's the gov, Perkins laughs. They also speak freely about their co-conspirators, and it isn't long before another gang member is revealed, Carl Wood. Wood is a 58-year-old small-time criminal, seen on CCTV carrying so much loot and equipment that the press dubbed him the strongman. It turns out Wood, like Reader, got cold feet on the second night of the heist, fleeing the scene before they entered the vault. According to the tapes, the gang have voted to cut Reader and Wood out of the spoils. Wood is understandable. He's just a bit of muscle along for the ride. But Reader's a different story. Not only is he highly respected within the criminal underworld, but according to the bugs, he was the mastermind behind the whole heist. Working for over three years alongside Perkins to orchestrate it. Still, he's committed a cardinal sin amongst thieves by bailing out on his mates. Reader will get nothing. With enough evidence to incriminate the majority of the Hatton Garden gang, the flying squad now turn their attention to identifying the sixth and final member, aptly referred to as the Ghost. Even in the CCTV footage, this man appears to be a different kind of criminal than the rest. He goes to greater length to disguise his identity, being the one who carried a bag on his shoulder to hide from the street cameras. Further inspection of the footage also reveals that he's wearing a red wig. From the bugs, the flying squad discover that the mysterious sixth man's name is Basil. Or at least, that's how they refer to him. 
no last name is given. Basil, it's revealed, was the gang's electronics expert. It was him who disarmed the security system and jammed the elevator. He also got a hold of 88 to 90's floor plans, as well as the front door key. He was an integral member of the Hatton Garden gang, but bizarrely, the remaining five men seem to have lost all contact with him. He doesn't appear on the bugs, doesn't call any of the men, is never seen at their meetings. Basil, the ghost, has vanished. For now, his identity must remain a mystery. The flying squad have no more time to waste. They need to find out where the loot is and retrieve it before it's shipped off to the black market. The bugs reveal that the loot is being hidden in at least two separate locations. Now, the flying squad need to wait for what thieves call the slaughter, when all the stolen goods are brought to one place and divided amongst the gang. Sure, the flying squad could arrest the gang now, but they don't want to retrieve just some of the loot. They want it all. Plus, all the robbers will be in the same place too, which means they'll have less chance of getting away when the raid goes down. In the second week of May, the Hatton Garden gang begin making arrangements for the carve-up. Terry Perkins says he'll send his daughter away on holiday so they can use her house. Presumably the thinking is she's less likely to be under surveillance. Finally, the police have a date for the slaughter. May the 19th, 2015. It's time for the detectives to make their move. The flying squad immediately begin preparing for the raid. Over 100 officers are recruited to execute a coordinated assault on each of the thieves' homes. At 9.45am, the surveillance team watches as the gang load the bags of loot into a van behind a pub in North London. Collins and Jones then follow Perkins to his daughter's house and begin unloading. Reader and Wood, it appears, have definitely been excluded from the slaughter. As for the mysterious Basil, he never shows up. The three men chat amongst themselves as they bring the bags inside, smiling and laughing occasionally. It's abundantly clear they have no idea what's about to happen. The moment all the men are inside, the flying squad strike. Six police vehicles screech to a halt in front of the house. More than a dozen officers run out and break down the door. Inside, the gang doesn't know what's hit them. Jones runs out into the garden and is quickly tackled by waiting officers. Collins tries to follow, but is pinned to the ground. Perkins throws up his hands, knowing there's no escape. All three men are hauled into a police van and brought to the station. At the same time, the homes of the other known gang members are also being raided. Reader and Wood are caught completely unaware, handcuffed and brought in. The search for the loot begins. A large portion of it was right there on the table in Perkins' daughter's home. More is found in the gang members' own homes. It appears each of the men had squirreled some away for themselves without telling each other. Dozens of bags and holdalls are brought in. 
Each contains a treasure trove of glittering sapphires, diamonds, rings, necklaces, brooches, even gold sovereigns. Masses of incriminating evidence is found in each of the properties, including the gloves used during the heist and some of the clothing they wore. Police even find a copy of Forensics for Dummies in Danny Jones's house. They also seize the gang's computers. A quick look over their search history reveals they'd made little attempt to cover their digital tracks. As early as August 2012, Jones was searching for drills capable of penetrating reinforced concrete. He even watched several YouTube demonstrations on how to operate the Hilti DD350. In all, only about a third of the estimated 14 million pounds in valuables is recovered. To find the rest, the flying squad will now have to interrogate the Hatton Garden gang. But getting information out of a group of seasoned gangsters like Reader, Wood, Collins, Perkins and Jones is easier said than done. They've all been in this situation dozens of times and know exactly how to play the game. Whatever the old Bill asks you, the answer is no comment. However, it soon becomes clear that stonewalling won't get them off the hook. The evidence against them is overwhelming. First, there are the hours of bugged conversations recorded in Perkins and Collins' car. Even more incriminating, there's the stolen valuables that they had in their possession, all of which can be traced back to the Hatton Garden vault. As Collins will later admit in a TV interview, we had no chance. We had all the loot. Once charged, the five men plead guilty, thus avoiding a lengthy trial and reducing their sentences from the mandatory 10 years as a reward for cooperating. Reader is sentenced to six years, three months. Wood gets six years, and Collins, Jones and Perkins each get seven. But there is a limit to the cooperation they give. No one is either willing or able to tell the police anything about the mysterious sixth member of their gang. The man they say they know only as Basil. They claim never to have seen his full face, which he often hid behind dark glasses or beneath the peak of a baseball cap. He was even in the habit of wearing a wig. And, as Collins put it, we never had nothing to do with Basil anyway. Of course, for old school villains like these, there's nothing worse than snitching. So even if they do know who Basil is, they aren't going to tell the police. But for the Flying Squad detectives, their work isn't done until they have the ghost behind bars. They begin their hunt for the missing thief by reviewing the CCTV footage of the gang members taken at the time of the heist. In it, the obviously camera-shy Basil appears either shielding his face with a bag or wearing a dust mask. It's not much to go on, but it does give the detectives a rough idea of the man's build, age, and even gait. They now compare this to the images they have of the various individuals Collins met while under surveillance. One man sticks out, who they eventually identify as Michael John Seed. But it takes until March the 27th, 2018, 
before detectives feel they have enough evidence to raid Seed's flat. Even then, they can't quite believe what they find. The inside of Seed's flat is like a bandit's treasure trove, filled with jewelry and gold. Everywhere detectives look, there's the glint of diamonds or the warm luster of a heavy gold chain. On a workbench, detectives find two gold bars with assay marks that identify them as being part of the Hatton Garden Hall. Most incredibly of all, they find a gold smelter in the bedroom. On the 15th of March 2019, Seed is convicted for his part in the Hatton Garden Vault robbery. Unlike his fellow gang members, he pleads not guilty, and so receives the maximum sentence. The men who broke into the Hatton Garden Vault on the Easter Bank holiday weekend of 2015 are often portrayed as lovable rogues. Theirs is a victimless crime. Hardly a crime at all, more of a caper. They were not armed after all, no one got hurt. Perhaps because, thankfully, no one got in the way. It's even argued that some of the people whose valuables were stolen may have been criminals themselves. The whole thing is almost like something out of a film. As it happens, no less than two movies have been made based on the incident, including 2018's King of Thieves, starring, of course, Michael Caine and Ray Winston. The old lags of Hatton Garden have become legends. There's no doubt that it was an audacious, if flawed, operation. For Brian Reeder, who it turns out was suffering from pancreatic cancer at the time of the heist, it may well have been one desperate, last-ditch attempt to pull off the heist of a lifetime, to go out with the big one. If so, he must have been sorely disappointed. The venture ended in failure, with his fellow thieves turning against him and with the arrest and imprisonment of all the key players. One journalist wrote, These old boys hadn't hurt a fly. No one wants any of them to die in prison. They were just professional villains doing their job. But not all the coverage was favourable. Another writer asked, Is this the same Brian Reader, who as a 45-year-old was charged alongside the notorious Kenny Noy for the murder of Detective Constable John Fordham in 1985? The same Brian Reader, who was seen by Detective Neil Murphy kicking John as he lay on the ground after being stabbed by Noy 11 times. When it comes to the detectives who tracked them down, men like DC Day, well, they were just doing their jobs too. It's just that, in the end, they did their jobs better. Next time on Scotland Yard Confidential. In the darkest days of the First World War, death rains down from the night sky as London is terrorized by Zeppelin raids. Then, one morning, a headless torso is discovered in a square near King's Cross. 
A mysterious note is found on the body. Could this be a clue to the victim's identity or an insight into the murderer's twisted mind? One of the greatest detectives of his day is soon on the case, and the hunt for a brutal killer begins. Scotland Yard Confidential is a Spotify original from Parcast, produced in partnership with Noiser. Executive produced by Max Cutler, Drew Cole, and Pascal Hughes. Developed by Julian Boirot for Parcast. Written and produced by Addison Nugent. Series consultant, Roger Morris. Hosted by me, John Hopkins. Supervising editor, Kevin Pham. Sound designed by Matthias Torres Sole. Sound supervisor, Tom Pink. Edited by Carla Flores and Rob Plummer. Mix master by Kian Ryan Morgan. Music by Oliver Baines and Dory McCauley. 